welcome Pudding People to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour, with your other host, Richard Geiger. Hello. We are fantastically excited today. We get the chance to speak with somebody that's a, 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 a unique part of pop culture history, specifically through film and stage. Uh, we have the lovely and talented Amy Stock with us today. Hello, guys. How are you? I feel fantastic. Well, thank you. <laughs> cool. Um, I have to say that uh, I have to say that I, I get excited anytime I get a chance to talk to somebody that's that's been a part of of so many good things like you have in the past and and continue to be now. But mm-hmm. part of what um, kind of got me into movies were actually kind of a handful that you were involved in. We'll cover that here, here in a minute, but you know, I'm, I'm giddy. I'm like, I'm like a schoolgirl right now. I can't help it. Um, Richard's well, used to being happy. <laughs> right. You can be giddy away. Just giddy away. I don't right. care. It's, okay. it's very cute. Thank you. <laughs> oh, so one of the first things that uh, popped out to me is um, you are not just an actor. You Um, have delved into the realms of academia and teach acting and have uh, achieved a a doctoral degree. Um, Specifically, is is it right that it's the theater history, uh, theory and criticism that that was in? Yes. uh, Yeah, all three, actually. So, yes, I have a doctorate in theater history, theory and criticism, and I actually wrote for my dissertation on all three of those topics. So, (laughs) yes, and I'm very proud of that. So it's not just theater history. It's a lot of theory and criticism as well. What what kind of inspired you? This seems like it's something maybe a little different than what a lot of career actors might pursue it seems to have more of a, a perspective to it what what got you along this particular road well actually it was the business uh it was in the late 90s and i was still working but things were changing in the business the looks were changing all that lovely stuff i also had a five-year-old child at that time who was just starting school and I think, let me do the math. How old am I? Hold on. Yeah, I was approaching my 40s and uh, kind of saw the writing on the wall for me. Uh, Even though I was still working, I was not working the way I would hope to. And so for a future, uh, I decided to, a friend actually recommended that I do into the part-time because like I said I had a young child so he was starting school mommy was starting school it was quite the experience for both of us and uh, during the course of taking my MA uh, I was going through a divorce and realized I was going to be a single mother in Los Angeles with an MA degree and I went, you know what, the MA isn't, isn't the terminal degree. If I want to teach in higher ed, which was my goal, uh, I need to go on for the PhD. So I applied to several different programs, got accepted at U of I, and we all drove across country. And there I was in Champaign-Urbana for 10 years. So, <laughs> yeah. 
I won't talk about those years. Uh, they were quite difficult. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I have a doctorate now, so it's pretty cool. What What is it about teaching? I, I've been fortunate enough to know many um, professors, uh, specifically theater professors, over the years, and they all seem to share one trait in common. It's just this kind of feeling of energy uh, that they have when dealing with uh, students and dealing with the craft. What is it uh, about that that really uh, reaches you? What, what, what brings joy to you out of this type of teaching? Uh, just number one is, and I always tell my students this, I learn more from them than they could ever learn from me. I, I love teaching for that respect because they bring so much to the classroom and they teach me so much about, especially in this day and age, about acceptance and accepting who, who we all are together. And the love that they have for the craft is something I had when I was their age. And I'll tell you, after 30 or 40 years in this business, it can really, it can go away. The, the love of the craft and the love of what you do can definitely go away. And they just bring it back every single day. And I'm inspired by that energy. So when I come to class feeling like crap and I don't want to teach or whatever, or despondent about something, and all it takes is, is just to start the class and to see their enthusiasm. And I'm right there with them. And that helps me quite a lot. So I, I love that cyclical feeling of you, you put out there and they receive and they send it back to you in spades. And I, I love that about teaching. Now, you had, um, you had actually said, you know, we don't really want to talk about the time in, in Illinois. But originally, like, you're, you're from the Midwest, right? Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland rocks, dude. <laughs> so, I mean, we're we're kind of sandwiched right in between those. We're in Bloomington, Indiana. So we're you know we're we're Midwest folks as well. So what what has that kind of uh, you know growing up in the Midwest, learning like going to school in the Midwest? How has that translated to being out west? Because yeah, obviously it's a different it's a different vibe in, in a sense. So how has that translated to your your instruction and, and the things that you do now? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, yes, I grew up in the Midwest and we have different sets of values in the Midwest. We really do. And we're proud of those. We're proud of being the heartland and being, you know, Ohio is shaped like a heart. And we always say it's the heart of the country. And Cleveland was a great town to grow up in. I had two very wonderful, very accepting modern parents <laughs> For back in the early 60s, my mom always worked. She uh, wanted to be a nurse, but back then, uh, young nurses couldn't be married. And so she had to quit her program. And she made father. That was That's the way it was. But my mom was always smart. She was always progressive. She always wanted to work so that we had things to, you know, vacation, camping vacations. And my dad was a teacher and a golfer. So my dad taught us all about acceptance. I mean, we're Polish and my father would come home and tell us the worst Polish jokes ever that he had heard from his students. And he's cracking up and oh, it's so funny. I'm like, dad, we're Polish. I don't care, it's funny. 
So I learned that from my, my parents is, is that just, so that helped quite a bit. Uh, then moving to California, you're right. Totally different vibe out here. I remember the first month I moved out here, I remember calling my mom and saying, mom, I think I just moved to Mars because I don't understand anybody out here. And it was, it was very difficult to assimilate to the West, but what I think I brought with me and what I think I brought, I bring to my teaching is a hard work ethic. We, we worked hard. I worked very hard all through college. Uh, and I loved everything I did. And I got, like I said, I got that influence from my parents who worked not to be rich, not to be famous. They worked to give us a good life. And that really stuck in with me. And I knew from an early age that if I wanted things, I had to work for them. They're not going to be given to me. And I will be the first person to tell you, I mean, this is great, you guys, because revisiting my career after all these years has just shown me that, yeah, I, I, I did a lot of work, but I look at it as being lucky. I was very lucky. Uh, yeah, I auditioned and I, and I, like I said, I worked hard and my girlfriends and I, from that time period, we always like to brag a little bit about how we were working actors. We weren't stars. We weren't whatever. We were working actors in a time when you could still be a working actor and make a decent living. So that's the work ethic. Again, I bring to my students and I'm very lucky to teach at two schools that believe in that same work ethic that you show up on time, you have your work done, you don't make excuses because nobody out in that business is going to take an excuse. They're right. gonna be out, you know, giving and whatever, but if you keep giving excuses, if you're not prepared on a job, forget it. There are 12,000 people behind you just waiting for that job. So you learn a work ethic. And uh, that's what we teach at both of the schools I teach at is that professionalism. Well, and a lot of the things it seems that I've seen that you've done kind of reflect that that worth work ethic, but not not just that, but the amount of effort required to be able to achieve success at what you're doing would be substantial. Uh, you were um, a director and company manager for a theater company, right? That's got to mm -hmm. be just a, a ton of responsibility uh, instead of just having to show up and know your lines. I mean, being able to get I everything together and not just have it fall apart. Uh. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, when you were, I was uh, hired to direct a show. Um, what is it called? Uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Ever Trying. And during the course of that, uh, they fired the company director and they said, would you step in as interim because we are $45,000 in debt. No media wants to no advertising, nothing. No one wants anything to do with this. And this is in Champaign-Urbana, a small town. How do you get 45? Anyway. So I came on and freaked out when I heard they had no plan, they had no money, and they were in debt. And I got a hold of some uh, friends of mine from my son's school who had just started a promotional company for smaller firms. And so I said, can I just, I'll buy you wine. Let's just pick your brain a little bit. And by the end of that meeting that night, they just came to me and said, we're going to help you and we're going to do it for free. And I went, oh, my God. So that year and a half that uh, I was company director, I had a lot of help. And we got ourselves, we cut that debt in half. We got, we repaired relationships 
it was now that I'm looking back on it. Okay. And it's been a while now that I'm looking back on it. Uh, it was quite the experience and it taught me a ton about how to run a theater. Uh, the thing is, is that for the first six months, they offered me a sal tiny salary. And for the first six months or so, I said, I don't want it. We don't have the money. So I worked for free. And a lot of people didn't understand that. But Richard, there we go with that work ethic again, right? It's not like I was going to say, I want my money or I'm not going to help you. I saw people in need and who wanted to keep their company going. And so I helped. And they eventually did pay me what they owed me. So yeah, that was another lovely experience, <laughs> but I met a lot of great people. So it was okay in the end. I just stories like that seem to be more commonplace than, than you would expect. It, it, especially local theater seems to be a, a creature unto itself. It, it doesn't seem to conform to any, any other realities that I've seen. Um, how it very much is yes you're right how how do you how do you kind of you can't i guess you can't really compare theater to uh, stay uh, to being behind a camera for a movie but what what is some of what is some of the allure of both that you kind of like i i really love doing theater because of this but i still like it better with film in in some other respect uh, as an actor, I, I did study theater all through college and have an undergrad degree in theater and all that and went to New York to study in an academy to do theater. But then I started doing the TV and the print work and the whatever, and I discovered that I'm a much better actor behind the camera or in front of the camera, <laughs> behind the camera. That's a someday dream. But yes, I am a much better actor in front of the camera than on stage. Um, I was good in college. I did a play out here a few years ago. I belong to the Road Theater Company out here in, um, in North Hollywood. And we did a play, it's the first play I'd done in a long time. And I just felt so uncomfortable. I didn't know what, I felt very exposed, <laughs> you know. It was a great play and we had, we had fun doing it, but I, I kind of pretty much determined after that, I'm. I'm a, I'm a movie, film, TV actor. I, I love the intimacy of the camera. I love that I can raise an eyebrow to convey an emotion and that's all I need to do. I love that. And when the camera is close and it's such a relationship, it's hard to describe that feeling, but it's, you feel so connected to the audience. And I know a lot of people say, well, the appeal to answer your other question, the, the appeal of live theater, of course, is that you have a live audience and you are there as they're reacting and their energy feeds you. And it's, it really is great. And a lot of people think that goes away when you're film acting. And I'm, I beg to differ. And I teach my students this, I say through that lens could be upwards of hundreds of thousands of people who are going to eventually see your work. Now, do you want to disregard them and think that they're not there? Or do you want to use that imagination? You want to use that and sense their presence through the lens. And that's what's the, what the difference is. And I love that about film. So theater, I love to direct. I love to direct theater. I think that's where my forte is. But in film, it's the acting and it's the camera. Now, is there a a preference uh, or noticeable difference or something that you 
enjoy one or the other when you look at TV compared to film. Have difference between the two because you kind of you kind of did some you know TV that was where you were doing some of your early stuff. Okay. Is do you prefer that or film? Honestly, there's no difference in because the television I did was film. It was movies of the week. It was yeah. uh, recorded. You know, it wasn't. Uh, I've never done a sitcom, um, which a couple of my friends did, and I would go and watch their episodes being filmed. Now that is a real combination of theater and you know film, and I've never done that. So for me, uh, doing a film or doing one of the television shows I did, there really was no difference because the the process was the same, and the working. Uh, on the and with the camera and everything was pretty much the same so that wasn't a difference and and never having done a sitcom i bet that you know that's one experience i wish i had done yeah i think that would have been cool but i never got that chance so did no did you have did you do any um auditions for uh anything like that and oh yeah go, go ahead finish your question i'm sorry no that that's what i was i was wondering in in your discussion about being a hardworking um, actor is that you've got to put your face out there and you've got to do auditions for things and you've got to put your, your face in front of a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, uh, a regret or do you have a, a gosh darn it? I wish I would have gotten that one that you had the opportunity to almost get. Oh yeah. Gosh, I got tons of those, <laughs> you know, you always audition and don't get more than you ever audition and do get. Uh, a couple of them that I'll remember was uh, Top Gun. I went for the Kelly McGillis part. I think I got a callback for that. I think I got a couple of callbacks for that and then didn't go any further. Uh, what there were there were a number of television shows. Oh, and that that was the thing is that you. You would audition and then you would get called back and then you'd get called back again for some more people. And then if you really got close, you you did something which they did back then called going to network, which meant it was down between you and maybe two or three other people. And everybody was there. All the studio executives are in this one little room. So you're auditioning and I'll never forget this. I can't remember the name of the show, but it was a television show. It was a sitcom. And uh, it was a tiny room in NBC Universal building and there must have been 30 people in that room and one little space in the middle of all of them for you to do your, your wow. acting. But the people I was up against, which I love to tell this story, it's my best failure story ever. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Courtney Cox were the other two young women up for the same part. They're both brunettes and, I was, and I'm blonde. Uh, so I always look back on that and go, well, if you're going to fail, geez, at least fail some really good people. <laughs> and then you can oh, feel gosh, justified, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus actually got that part uh, for that show, which I can't remember. And that was the one right before she did Seinfeld. So I was going to say, but you should yes. tell the story as if it were, I lost uh, Ju uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus for Seinfeld. Exactly. It, much bigger I'm impact. I'm putting my spin on it there, Ken. I'm putting my own <laughs> spin on it, you know? <laughs> Oh, well, you had a really remarkable start, though. Uh, well, it's not not really start, but maybe the start where people would become really aware of you uh, back uh, back in the whole uh, the whole Ed McMahon days of yeah, of yeah. Star Search, man. Uh, now, I now for those of uh, our younger 
listeners, uh, Star Search was America's Got Talent back back in the day. Um, so it was it was it was significantly different. I mean, but it it had the same kind of core feel to it in a lot of ways. What was that kind of an experience like to be able to go into this competition and to win and and get all the way, I believe, to the semifinals, wasn't it? Yeah, semifinals. What was, what was I mean, that kind of led to your, uh, led to, to a lot of really neat stuff, I would expect. Oh, yeah. No, Star Search, I will always be grateful for Star Search. I was living in Chicago, being a model at the time. And the audition came to my agency in Chicago and I auditioned for the spokesmodel category because I was a model in, in Chicago, uh, you know, and I'm also five, six and, you know, no great shapes, you know, and there I am going into the spokesmodel competition, which was hysterical in itself. But we, uh, so I won the audition and uh, we went to, we were flown to New York to shoot our six videos because sh- they shot them all in advance in case you won, you know, then you could, they could have them. And then uh, drove out to LA, first time in LA and did the show live. And there's another example of a live taping. So it was, yeah, it was a competition show. We would rehearse all day. We would run the order. And then the audience would come in after dinner and we would tape the show live. And it was huge. It was a huge auditorium, lots of people. And lo and behold, yeah, I won six, six times, five times. I won five times in the regular season, lost on my sixth and made it to the semifinals. But again, here's the difference. No, I wasn't six, two and stacked and, you know, gorgeous. Like most of these women I went up against. I mean, it was, it was hysterical. I mean, I'm here five, six, and they're like six feet and we're walking onto the stage like this. The camera had to pull back to get us both in the same shot. But where I think I won is not so much in the modeling, although I was, I guess I was kind of cute. It was when they put the microphone in my hand and we had to do the the teasers, the commercial teasers coming up next on Star Search 85. That's where my acting kicked in. And I knew what to do with the microphone. I knew how to handle it. And I knew how to shine with that microphone in my hand. And a lot of the young women I went up against did not. So I think that's why I won. And then after uh, it was my sixth show, the one I lost on and I'm backstage, you know, not crying. I was happy that I had all this, this great run. But I'm, you know, feeling kind of blue or whatever. And all of a sudden I see this woman walking up to me and she was one of the judges. She had been one of the judges on that show. And she hands me her card and she says, hi, my name is Sue Cameron. I'm an agent with leading artists and I'd like to represent you. And I went, okay, (laughs) you know, no idea. Uh, So we met the next day really good strong agency she was an amazing agent met a lot of good people and that's how I got my start I just started auditioning with a very good agent so I was again very lucky that you know just very lucky counting my stars there. Well, I remember that show quite well in fact it's, it's very um, informative even to what I'm doing right now I'm doing my best to turn Richard Geiger into the next Ed McMahon just so that he can I want him to be able to say yes you are correct sir you know just kind of <laughs> Get that gusto. I haven't gotten there yet, but we're still working on it. So you're. So are are you going to be uh, Johnny or? Uh... Yeah, I don't. I don't think I can do a Johnny impersonation. That, uh, who who can really do Johnny Carson? I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. He's your Ed too. 
I, I think I'd have some fun with that. But so, okay, okay. So let's let's talk about what kind of came after that a little bit. You now you mentioned you weren't on sitcoms, but you did have recurring roles on a kind of close cousin to the sitcom, the the soap opera. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were both on Days of Our Lives and Dallas, right? So yeah. I've heard some stories that the the type of filming that these types of dramas tend to do is pretty grueling um, because they, they're constantly having to turn over new material almost daily uh, for for that kind of uh, for that kind of uh, uh, story that they're telling. What was it like being a part of that kind of environment? Did, did it click for you or was it always uh, something else? Uh, well, there's there's quite a difference between Days of Our Lives, which was a daytime soap, mm-hmm. and Dallas, which was a nighttime soap, uh, because Dallas was shot like a regular television show. We had a week to shoot the whole episode, and it was filmed and all that. With Days of Our Lives, that was a whole other ball of wax. Days of Our Lives uh, is your day starts at, mine always did, 6 a.m. You'd go to set for just a read-through. You'd go back to your dressing room and sleep for an hour until you had camera blocking call and then you do a camera block and then you'd start getting your makeup on and then you had lunch and then during lunch they would come and those 30 pages you had memorized the night before they would come and tell you oh we're cutting that speech we're moving it over here and taking out this page and so then you do your first dress rehearsal where you're going what am i supposed to say i don't freaking out and then you Somehow we do final taping. Somehow it all works out. It's a real method and process. And don't ever let anybody tell you that daytime soap opera actors don't work hard. They do. Mm. That is, it is very grueling. It's a grueling schedule, but it's like once you get into the routine, you get it. And if you have a hot storyline, you're home memorizing, like I said, maybe 20 pages a night, maybe 30. I don't know depending on how big your character is. But uh, for me, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't fit well. Uh, and the character I played was one that they were going to kill off anyway. So it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't expecting to be on there all that long. Hmm. Uh, but I got to play a great part. I got to play Britta England. She was a Russian spy that just comes and causes trouble in everybody's lives. So it was cool. I will come to get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was great. It's a lot of interesting stuff going on in that show, but yeah, it was fun. I was that's actually what I was going to ask was, did you know you weren't going to uh, live, or did you get like, here's the script and you're reading it like, oh, this is where I'm, this is where I get it right here. Is that kind of how it worked out? Yeah, kind of. Uh, I didn't. I don't think anybody knew where her storyline was going. It it just they knew they wanted to get this whole spy ring thing started. So uh, they brought in this character and um, hooked me up with the bad boy, the bad girl and the bad boy on, on the soap. But here's where I knew I wasn't going to stay. It was after like three months or so, three months on the show. Storyline was going pretty well. It was very exciting. But then I get the script and I see they're introducing a new character, a new female character. And she has a past with, my bad boy boyfriend 
So I knew right then and there, she was a good girl. They're going to hook the good girl up with the bad guy and the bad girl has to get shot off the show. So that's when I knew I wasn't uh, sticking around very much longer. And that's fine. It's, it's, it's cool. I was not, I was not real good on the soap anyway, so I'm fine with that. And plus I got off the show and got on to Bill and Ted. So oh, yeah. I'm good. I was, was going to say, uh, ho- hopefully that, you, you had mentioned that you weren't exactly enjoying your time, so I was hoping that that went into something that you actually enjoyed your time on. Oh, heck yeah! That was uh, that was Bill and Ted. Yeah, well, <laughs> so. we're going we're going to save the best for last. But I w- I want to kind of yeah. actually start with the the first film I ever saw you, in. and it's just it's not worth you know landing on for a real long time, just because it was such a small part that you had, and the film has maybe not aged the best, but. You were talking a little bit about Julia Louis-Dreyfus here a little earlier, and she was in this film uh, alongside several other individuals, and that was uh, that was Soul Man back in the day. But I mean that that cast was um, even even though the the movie may not have aged so well, the cast was phenomenal on that uh, mm-hmm. between uh, C. Thomas Howell and. Uh, uh, Ray Don Chong had some great roles at that time. Of course, James Earl Jones and Leslie Nielsen are just legends. Mm-hmm. Did you get the chance to, and I know your part wasn't huge, but did you get the chance to kind of interact with any of them a little bit? Because I know it's it's fun to kind of get little tidbits of wisdom from other actors, little, little bits of how do you do this and kind of learn. Did you get anything good out of that? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, I was in bed with two men on my one day of shooting. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was the credit um, that my father absolutely hated and was very mad about. My credit on that film was Girl in Bed. And uh, for me, it was, I, I'm pretty sure it was my first feature film I worked on. Uh, I was hired first day of shooting, so it was exciting. There were balloons arriving to set for Ari and for C. Thomas Howell. And we just, and so my scene was being in bed with C. Thomas Howell. And then Ari Gross, whom I love, comes running in and they're all excited. They're accepted to Harvard and they're bouncing around. And I pop up from under the sheets and go, congratulations, you know, and that was it. So um, it was cute. It was a cute scene. And the two guys were just so fun to work with because they were so excited. It was just, it was a thrilling first job for me. And um, yeah, so it's, it's a special place in my heart, that little film. And yeah, I don't care that it doesn't age well. I had fun. Yeah. And uh, have a great credit. I, I brag about that. Going bad, you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's you can always take some positive out out of, out of some stuff like that. I mean that that's just kind of amazing. Amazing. Now, truthfully, the, the actual because I I didn't recognize it at, at that time when I saw it. But now the first movie that I actually remember recognizing you from, and it was actually one of my favorite movies when I was a, a kid, was actually Summer School, with the late great Carl Reiner. Uh, you, it was your part at the beginning of the movie. It was, it, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was such an important tone setter for, for the entire film to be able to be likable while accidentally or intentionally putting the, the protagonist in the position that he's in. Mm-hmm. What was it like working on that particular film? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, um, boy, summer school, another really cool experience, not only working with Mark Harmon, um, 
And that was his first comedy, and he was very nervous about it. And again, had a great dog, Bo. Never forget that dog. Got to put the lay around the dog's neck. Oh, such a sweetheart of that dog. Uh, but again, I and I look back on this stuff, and I look back on some of the people I've worked with, and go, "How did I ever work with these people without falling all over them and saying how much I love you so much, right? Or not being or, or not being too nervous to do anything?" And that was with uh, Carl Reiner. Um, I grew up in the early 60s. Dick Van Dyke show was one of my favorite shows ever. And, you know, he was Alan Brady and a, a comic genius. And not only, I, I mean, I got to audition for him and got called back by him and then got the part from him. And so that was that. Was that. And then we were working on the, on the scene out in the parking lot. And... Uh, like I said, I think Mark was a little nervous about doing a, a comedy and Carl knew that. And so he was just right there every now tweak this and do this and that. So excited to help him so much so that he didn't even when he gave a direction and here we are in the middle of the parking lot, he didn't want to run back behind the camera. He just dove into the bushes right by us <laughs> so that if he had to yell cut or, or he saw something, he could be that close, you know, and then come right back out and give him another direction and then jump back into the bushes. And I just went, wow, what a great way to direct a, a scene. <sighs> so, yeah, no, I, I yeah. And people ask me, do you, did you get a picture with him? Did you? No, I, that's not what we did. We, we just worked together. And for me, that's, that's enough. You know, I was directed by Carl Reiner. For me, that was, that was amazing. Yeah. Just an amazing experience. Now, did you maybe besides, Carl Reiner, did you have growing up or coming up in the industry any, yeah, I don't know if you call them idols, but people that you looked up to or people that you aspired to kind of emulate? Gosh, as an actor, uh, not, not too much. A lot of people ask me that question. I guess um, I was a huge, and still am, a huge fan of Katherine Hepburn. Uh, simply because her comic timing is impeccable, gorgeous, and she's so smart, and she's just so witty, and there's there's nothing false about that woman at all. I I love her acting, so I guess she would be uh, a definitely a role model. Um, Marilyn Monroe thought she was a really good actor, folks, and a lot of and tragic, yes, but she she also had great comic timing and did some things in her films that you just watch her not only because she was gorgeous but you watch what she's doing without saying any words and she's just she's wonderful um and I, of course i just loved the whole business and actors and the whole nine yards and when i got um when i got older and i got here uh, and wanted to study uh, jose quintero was offering workshops for actors and jose quintero was and at that time, you know, still a huge Broadway director and started Circle in the Square back in the 50s and with uh, Ted Mann. And he's the one who introduced, reintroduced Eugene O'Neill into the American canon and his directing and the way he worked with us. I, I just, I still hear his, his gorgeous voice, even though he had uh, throat surgery many years later and he had one of those boxes, you could still hear that gorgeous voice. But I guess out of all those people, it was just 
their love of the craft and their love of what they did just shone through. It's not like they were, like I said, they weren't fame seekers. They weren't, I don't know, maybe they were, I don't know them personally. But with Jose, especially, you could just tell he just loved actors. He loved working with them. And when you got something, he was the most excited of anybody. And it's that kind of enthusiasm that really makes you and inspires you to work. Is it that kind of impact on um, on not not just the industry, but the the people that are closest to the individual creating the work that kind of inspired you to work on the book uh, about Herbert Blau? Uh, yes, actually. Yeah. Um, boy, Herb, I think my dissertation killed him, actually. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry. That's another long story. Uh, but during my MA program, I took a theory class and we were we were handed a list of theorists and I just went, oh, gee, I don't know any of them. I'll pick him. And so I picked Herbert Blau and lo and behold, couldn't have picked anybody better. He, um, with Jules Irving, started the Actors Workshop in San Francisco. And their main goal when they started was to the love of the craft, to explore the craft. And, uh, we're, and that's why it's Actors Singular Workshop is explore the art, explore the craft. And so studying his career and the way he wrote about it, to, to read his writings, The Impossible Theater, I would recommend that book to anybody, by the way. The Impossible Theater is a great chronicle of where he felt theater was in the early 60s at that time. And I think a lot of people would agree that it's still like that. Uh, but even though he would, you can just hear his rage against the theater machine and all of his writings, you can also hear how much he loved it and wanted to understand it, but never could and never did. And, and that's not a bad thing against him. Nope, nobody understands, you know, what, what the frick is theater? You don't understand it. It's an entity. You just don't get it ever. No one's ever going to get it. Even the successful people, there will still always be this enigma about it that you don't understand. And that's why it's so special. And that's why theater, live theater, will most likely be around until the end of civilization. We will never get rid of that live experience. I don't care how many new media things come up. Theater has never gone away. You don't think, don't think Quibi's going to replace it? Oh, God. No. <laughs> I love Quibi, though. What a great idea. I really think it's a great idea. I honestly do. Uh, short little one-off seven-minute episodes. I think it's a lot of fun. I'd love to do one. I think it'd be cool. Uh, so, no, I'm, I'm not poo-pooing any new anything. Um, but all I'm saying is that people for ever since the invention of radio back in the 20s or phonographs back in the early 1900s, People have been touting the death of live theater. No, it's not going anywhere. Never <laughs> no, will. definitely not. Mm -mm. I think I think timing kind of killed kind of killed Quibi. <laughs> killed Quibi. Well, killing. yeah, yeah. That's boy, the pandemic's killing just about everything right now, and it's it's very difficult. It's very very difficult for everyone, and I get that. So I, but here's the thing: I'm telling my students too, folks is uh, that's why, again, I think we are so craving human interaction right now. I think you're gonna see a surge of live theater once we're all out of this again. Uh, we just, we want that interaction. And I think this pandemic is teaching us all that we need that human interaction, that live human interaction. Yep. So not gonna replace everything else, but we still need that. And 
And that brings up a, a good question then, too. Uh, if you're going to be doing an instruction for, for school, how is that going to change here for you personally coming up soon? Uh, well, we've been on Zoom since the middle of spring semester. And boy, when you throw, I was teaching at four, four different schools this spring semester. Uh, one school, uh, Concord University in West Virginia, I teach online anyway. So that didn't, it didn't bother me. But here at AMDA and NIFA and at LMU, all of a sudden, boom, we're on Zoom. And nobody even knew, I had never mm. even heard of Zoom before that. And all of a sudden now I'm trying to figure out and teach people and keep it. Yeah, boy, talk about a stressful semester. Uh, the thing that I'm noticing now that that, that horrific semester is over, uh, we are back online this summer for NIFA and for AMDA. Uh, we are going to be online again, which of course is the smart thing to do. Uh, and what I'm noticing is my students are losing their energy. They're losing their desire to especially for performing students they have to be together to do scene work it's just, scene work on zoom is is brutal mm. let's face it it's just brutal uh for the, for most of the courses i teach i teach um history courses and i teach a critical writing course for mfa actors which is going really well on zoom right now uh and for me what i've learned is no matter how depressed I feel, because hello folks, teachers get massively depressed with all of this too, by the way, it's not just all about the students. Because you've got a teacher who then has to forget all the crying and jump on Zoom and be a cheerleader for students and get them through the class. Yep. But here's what's gotta happen. Um, we're all, a lot of schools are going back online. USC just announced they're going back online. They thought they were gonna open, they're not. Students listening who may be listening, look, guys, this is your degree. Whether there's a pandemic or not, this is still your degree. Work on it. Get it done. Yep. Get it over and get out there into the real world. OK, I don't know what's going to be waiting for you out there after this is all done. But why sit around and mope? If this is what you have as a way to finish your degree, then do it. Do it the best you can and get your degree and graduate because this isn't going away anytime soon. So you can sit home and mope and not get anywhere, or if you're able financially and all that other stuff to still attend and it's still on Zoom, do it and get it done. And it's still your work and it still has to be good. Mm -hmm. Bottom line. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Now, I, do, I don't want to uh, put this off any longer. There's there's something I know that listeners have been waiting for I've been as we've been pulling. Oh, I think pulling. I told you everything I've ever done. <laughs> well, this, oh, no, I bet this is going to be real important. It is definitely going to be important. Richard knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a reminder that the Pudding Guys are on social media. You can always check us out on, <laughs> on <laughs> Facebook and Instagram at mm -hmm. Pudding Guys and on Twitter at Real Pudding Guys. And, of course, even you can go over to uh, Patreon and check us out for only a dollar a month. You can help support the Pudding Guys as we bring you new people to talk to, new things to talk into, and just generally increase the quality of the programming. And by the way, we do have some neat stuff coming up in August that's going to be a little different. We have some 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 very cool tools, but we're not going we're not going to go into that now. That's going to be its own Wait, episode. I'll follow you on Twitter just to find out what those are. Woohoo. There you go. 
Um, all right. Now, what, what we were really talking about is obviously the, the new Bill and Ted movie that's coming out has got a lot of people uh, excited, specifically a lot of people my age, I think, <laughs> truthfully, that, that uh, when we were growing up, those, those movies were really, really something that brightened, brightened our experiences. What, uh, how exactly, we, you know, you, you kind of touched on a little bit, you were in the, the daytime drama and, and then kind of went to Bill and Ted's. It's, I thought I had heard at some points that you had gotten called back a number of times to, to be yes. in that particular part. How did that work out? Yeah. Uh, I, I think the total number was six. Uh, six times to go back and do the same audition scene with a different set of young women waiting in the waiting room. Uh, from what I understand, and I didn't know this until a couple of years ago when I did, a, um, they were screening the two movies in Santa Monica and Alex was there and the two princesses and Scott. And I just jumped on stage. I surprised everybody. Uh, but I guess Alex and Keanu went through the same thing, only their audition process, I think he said, lasted like six months or something. Wow. They kept going back and forth and pulling in with different people. And for me, for that for that little missy part, yeah, I was called back a lot. And like I said, each time with a different set of young women. So, and it was the same scene. It was the watering scene, you know, where she's out and the phone booth drops behind her and here come all these crazy <laughs> figures and, and she's just meeting them all like, hi, <laughs> you know, it's, there's no big deal. Uh, so, and there's not a lot of dialogue in that scene at all for me. It's a lot of looks and it's a lot of reactions and it's a lot of things the actor chooses to do. And I still, to this day, I don't know for sure, but I think that's why I got the part because every time I went back, I tried to do something just a little different or add a little something or uh, the whole Missy Mom thing with the look started in that audition, I think. Uh, Ed, Ed and Chris wrote it, and I think I just interpreted it, you know, the Missy Mom. So the look came in between those two lines. Um, and it, it's not because, God help us, I was not buxom, let's put it that way. I, I did not have the boobs for the job. Sorry, folks. I just didn't. But I, I think, like I said, they kept calling me back because there was something they liked about me. And I think, number one, it was because I made them laugh every time. And number two, I have never thought of Missy as a dumb blonde. I don't play dumb blondes. I play a character. And I loved her from the beginning. Uh, just the thought of a 19-year-old stepmother who's out there watering her lawn. And here comes Genghis, Bob Genghis Khan out of a phone booth. And she's just like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. I, I, that, that's just, I mean, that's the brilliance of the writing too, folks, okay? Actors love really good writing. And Ed and Chris, the, the subtlety sometimes of their comedy is just so understated that you can just do whatever you want with it and it just comes out funny. So, yeah, that was, that was my experience with auditioning for that. And then I got the car. <laughs> And, and as you were filming this and creating this, did you folks ever imagine that there would be a sequel? And then after the, that, a, a, a threequel, no. how many years later? Heavens, no. No. Uh, we were filming it. We were all pretty much nobodies except for, uh, obviously, the stars of the film and George Carlin, of course. 
But any actor at that time, you knew that there was a good chance whatever you were filming was not ever going to see the light of day. Uh, commercially, commercial actors know that all the time, you know. Uh, and with Bill and Ted's, did I think it wasn't ever going to come out? Uh, no, we were all hoping. But then the whole bankruptcy thing in the production company and it just sat in a vault for two years uncut until all the court and all the legal things were situated and then Nelson Entertainment picked it up and Orion Pictures came on board and they cut it together and it was their best grossing film that year I think from what I understand Seems and then I no idea still that we were doing Bogus Journey shocked even more that I was actually in it Again, never thought that would happen, which was so cool. Uh, and then the the third one, um, wow. Uh, yeah, to revisit that character and those characters 30 some odd years later was um, very interesting <laughs> to do. Uh, <laughs> but I've been hearing about a sequel for maybe six or seven years, just off and on, little rumors and things. and. Yeah. Then a few years ago, I did Comic-Con for Boom Studios to sign their Bill and Ted comic books. And Scott Kroof was there. And he said, well, we have a script. And he said, you're in it. And I went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I said, I can't believe you keep asking me back. I'm so happy. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. I kind of went through the roof when I found out I was in it for the third time. So, Well, you touched on something there that I kind of wanted to ask. George Carlin was such a big part of, of, of the charm of the first two films. And I know you can't give away any details. That had to have weighed a little bit on the writing of the third film. How do you compensate? What uh, Do you think that was ever really an issue or it was just kind of, um, we'll, we'll, we'll find something to fill, fill, the, fill his shoes? I, I honestly can't answer that and not because of the NDA, but because I'm not the writers and I really, I don't know what was going through their minds with all of that. I will say one thing about George Carlin. He was one of my favorite comedians. His seven words you can't say on TV that just the list just kept growing. And then his baseball and his football. Have you ever heard that one? Oh, yeah. oh my God. Love it. Uh was so disappointed during the filming of the first one that we never had scenes together and I never met him. Mm. Never met him on that one or on Bogus Journey. And I was just like, oh my God. That's, so that that's, was, that's a heartbreak that I never got to meet him. But uh, got to say I was in a film with him too. <laughs> that, that, is, that is true. To do some uh, creative editing, and <laughs> just to kind of have yep. it spliced together. Well, going from kind of the sad to the less sad, one of the reasons that the movies kind of resonated with me so much is they had such a positive message. Uh, mm -hmm. Ultimately, they were, they were very optimistic in, in, in a lot of regards. Now I've seen the pre the previews for the new film and it's, it's hard to gauge with, with just the, the little snippet. Does this film kind of maintain that optimistic worldview? Uh, again, I cannot answer. Nah, that. I was trying to weasel just a little bit. Couldn't quite get there. However, I will comment because you brought it up. Uh, when we were filming the first one, I don't think anybody 
knew at that time that Bill and Ted speak would become a thing. Uh, and you're right. And I've heard Ed talk about this before, um, especially on Twitter. <laughs> I love Ed on Twitter. He's, he's great. But he, you know, he just is adamant. As, as adamant as I keep saying, I, Missy is not a dumb blonde. The two guys are not um, potheads or, you know, surfer dudes or any, they're not any. And that's, that's why I think a lot of people couldn't figure out what they were. They couldn't put them into a category because they aren't They're They kind of created a category of their own. So, you know, that's, that's what I love about the, especially the first one that, that just love of, and the innocence and the pure honesty of yeah. all of it. So. so I've got to say, George, George Carlin, uh, the best Mr. Conductor. Yes. But, and this, this may sound like a, and, awkward question but every actor one of the best things if you have a piece of work that lives on as an actor actress you get residuals from these things um do you now that there is another one coming out do you see an increase in the popularity an increase in everything from the first two now that the third one has a trailer out for it there's there's word of mouth for it it are the first two or are those coming back to light in in from what you can see whether it's from the uh money or whether it's from just communication about the first two uh yeah um i think so what, what surprises me after all these years and and honestly i never really thought about it with the first two i knew we had fans of the film uh which was so wonderful uh, but then I kind of took myself out of the business for 10 years in Illinois, remember that. And uh, coming back and now with all the rumors and then finally with, with shooting the film and uh, now being a part of social media, I'm just, I'm, I'm hearing from all these people, kind of like you guys that said, this, these movies just meant so much to us and we, we love them. And I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> I'm shocked. I, I'm really surprised that, and to, and. I think that speaks so well of, of the first little film is that the fan base is so amazing. I mean, everybody, you guys, everyone out there, you fans are amazing. And I know Alex likes to say this, but you guys are really the ones who kept pushing to get this third one done. And so kudos to all of you. Uh, that's what I think helps make it feel more more like a community of people and not just actors and fans in a movie. We're a true community. And uh, we all, you all should feel a part of, of the success or success in the making of this third one, because you had a big hand in it. And am I seeing an upsurge of people watching the films? Yeah, definitely. Uh, in preparation of the third one, they want to either remember the first two or they, some people have never seen them, which is great. So introducing a whole new generation. And yeah, the comments are like, and I, you know, you can post pictures. I even watched them again all, after all these years and I went, wow, I really like this film. So uh, yeah, so yeah, we're seeing an upsurge and I guess the pandemic kind of helped with, with that because everybody's watching their favorite comfort movies again. I know I am. So uh, I think so, uh, a build up uh, to the third one. And anybody out there who has not seen the original 
excellent adventure or bogus journey. Get on it. What are you waiting right. for? What's wrong with you? That's Come right. on. This is Missy Mom talking. So those yeah. those are classics. I mean, they they they're. If it doesn't put a smile on your face, I would almost argue that there may be something wrong. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're we're not. I understand we're not for everybody. Nah. But if you like just fun, honest comedy, I love these films. So really, get on board. So have you also begun the the binging process in in watching everything else now that uh, COVID is out here? Your own personal favorites of things. <laughs> oh yes, I think I've been through the Harry Potter series at least twice. Really <laughs> work. All the stars uh, I don't like. Um, let's see. James Bond films. I got all those. Yeah, I've been watching those. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big, huge film person. Nice. And I do have my favorites. I have my comfort movies that I don't mind watching over and over and over again. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of one of the reasons that we do this is film, television, this pop culture plays mm -hmm. such a significant it has an impact on so many people. I mean, I can't say everybody. I mean, there's going to be those people that would prefer to be out in their wood shop doing, making something. But for, sure. for a lot of people, this is kind of that connection to the larger social mm -hmm. structure. And, and mm -hmm. it gives us information on how we see each other. And it's just such a fantastic thing. Uh, and I, I cannot tell you how much fun it is hearing opinions from somebody that helps to create those things and uh, we always really appreciate everybody that uh, the work that you've done and that everybody does to, to, to help you know like I said put some smiles on some faces um, well that's worth it right there if I can do that then I'm happy before we kind of um, bring this to a close. I always like to offer, is there anything else that you kind of want to give a shout out to, or that's really, really uh, something that's important to you, uh, whether it's a project or a, a charity or whatever, that might be something near and dear to your heart? Well, I, I really, honestly, I want to thank you for starting off uh, this whole thing with talking about my, my work and my education and my teaching, um, I think of anything being allowed to talk about uh, teaching and why you get a degree and why it's important and the energy of your students and what you can learn from your students and what I've learned from them. And I mean, I think that's what we all need right now is to hear that message is that we can't stop, we can't ever stop learning from each other because as we're all seeing, there's a, a lot of hatred right now being spewed. And let's just hope that this is the last of it and it's finally coming out and purging itself. But keep, you know, we just have to keep trying and keep moving forward. And if laughter does it, great. I'm glad to be a part of that. Um, I'm just trying to work and, and do what I can and do who, do who I am. So uh, being a doctor and having the degree and being a teacher is, is as much a part of me now as being an actor. So thank you for asking me questions about that. Cause I appreciate that. Um, other than that, I, you know, I, I could talk about my own career forever. I've had, I got, I used to call them my Johnny Carson stories. I need to write a book. <laughs> There's so many things that have happened. 
but uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I think the last thing for the fans is please understand that you know the third movie was shot 32 years later, and things change, especially for a woman. <laughs> so let's just be forgiving out there, shall we? But other than that, just go and enjoy and have a good time, and you know, just take care, everybody. Just be careful and take care. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I, I really appreciate it. It has been lovely. I hope you've had as much fun as I have. I have. Thank you. Any last words, Mr. Geiger? Uh, favorite James Bond. Ah. Whoa, pick one. Oh, boy. Okay. This is good. I thought about this. I'm going to say it's a toss-up, but I'm going to say you only live twice. Because that young woman in that white bikini and her white flats running up and down that volcano about seven or eight times, swimming across the lake, gotta love that. So I think it's You Only Live Twice. <laughs> Fantastic. Good choices. Yeah, definitely so. And then second one is Goldfinger. Oh, yeah. It's, hard, it's hard not to love that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, all, they're all so good. Uh, classic, yeah. I love the classic ones, yes. All right, guys, thank you so much. Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you.